the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, let's begin uh, today with a little football 101. Uh, when you're studying video of other teams or putting together a game plan for your team, uh, what constitutes a blitz? The number of players rushing the passer, the breakdown of the positions of the players rushing the passer, or is it something else? You know, it's defined by us purely as the number of people rushing the passer. Traditionally, there are four people designated to rush the passer. So anything more than four, we designate as a blitz. Now, there's different type of coverages behind the blitz. There's fire zones, there's man-to-man, and uh, things of that nature. There's trap coverages and so forth. But generally, a blitz is, is defined by anyone more than four uh, rushing the passer. So generally, then, uh, when you design a blitz, is, the, is the, the, the idea simply outnumbering the blockers? You know, it, it's difficult to outnumber the blockers um, just because you have to have a certain number of guys allocated to coverage, and so it's a fair fight. What you want to do is, is confuse the blockers. And, and at times uh, when there's a, the appearance of a blitzer that's free, usually there, there are an appropriate number of offensive players to pick the blitz up, but there's an element of confusion, and that's why someone's free. Very rarely are, is the offense short of personnel in terms of picking up the number of blitzers. Okay, moving on to another uh, often used football phrase, outside zone. How would you describe outside zone, and what's the purpose of outside zone running from the standpoint of the offense? You know, it's a zone scheme running play where you're blocking an area as opposed to blocking a man, and so it's very versatile. Your linemen are on tracks, and they, and they have very disciplined steps, and the back himself has a track. And so regardless of what the defense provides the offense, all zone scheme runs provide that fluidity um, where it's not man-related. They're blocking an area. And and that allows you to block the unforeseen. That allows you to move in concert. And it really highlights vision and and, and cutability of a back. Uh, You put him on a track. uh, You put offense alignment on the track. And you train him to to visually look for holes. And and then he – you know, he's capable of hitting the same running play in a variety of different ways. So how's the defense supposed to respond to outside zone? You know, it, most defenses, their, their gap responsibilities, and regardless of offensive play, um, each defender, particularly in the front, is assigned a space or a gap. And so uh, the defenders have to move in that gap. And, and inside zone, the gaps, the interior gaps don't move a lot. Outside zones, the spatial relationship in terms of where the gap is on the field moves significantly. You can have an A-gap on the center of the field, um, and you run an outside zone play, and that A-gap ends up out by the numbers. And that's why you need defense alignment who have lateral ability and can move with their gaps. Okay, uh, on to another offensive tactic, uh, the screen pass. What's important to make it, making a screen pass effective from the standpoint of the offense? Simply timing. And, and by timing, I mean the amount of time that the offensive line holds their initial block before they release them and the amount of time that the back or tight end or whoever is getting the screen pretends the block before they position themselves to receive the screen. Those two actions have to be extremely coordinated. And when they're not, uh, there's a chance for disruption. Uh, are screen passes used to slow down the pass rush? 
or is that a myth? It's used to slow down rush. It's also used to neutralize blitzes. Um, when you're bringing more than four people, um, it is a good weapon to neutralize the blitz game. Flipping it over to the defense versus a, a screen pass. How do you coach your defense to recognize it first and then react to it? It depends on whether we have man responsibilities or zone responsibilities. It's not a lot of discussion when we have man responsibilities. Whoever's responsible for the man that gets the screen should destroy that play before it develops by, by hugging up close to them. The ball snaps, you're assigned to man. That guy is not proceeding downfield. you got to close the distance to him in an effort to destroy those plays before they develop. In zones, it's about fitting in spaces on blocks. It's really a very similar discussion to the outside zone play we were just talking about in terms of you're assigned a fit or a space. And so in zone concepts, we fit the screens. In man concepts, whoever's responsible for the intended receiver better destroy it before it develops. Who are good screen teams? What, what characteristics does a, a good screen team have? You know, um, a, a lot of the times it's, it's teams that are capable of running the football. Um, because the play-action screens are probably most effective. You know, you get a run action, and then you discover that it's not run from a defensive perspective. So there's a reaction, and usually it's, it's bursting into deep pass defense and so forth. And so that provides space for screens to develop. On a consistent basis, the most effective screen teams are probably the most effective run teams, and the most effective form of screen is the play-action screen. At your news conference last Tuesday, you talked about the need to work to correct penalties, and one of the things you did was bring officials to work practices during the week. Uh, how do coaches work with players to correct things that lead to penalties? You know, the technical aspect of play, the, the, the skill development relative to your position, hand usage in the offensive line, proper hand usage in the secondary, wards off offensive holding and DPI or defensive holding, for instance. There's always, um, you, you know, almost always there's some technical element of penalties, uh, particularly in those two areas. So the individual portion of practice where they're working on skill development relative to their positions, they have an opportunity to sharpen their skills, to have discipline techniques regarding hand usage. And so that's been a focus of our coaching staff during the course of the week. And then when we go to 11-11 football, that's when the, the officials that we brought in become central in terms of throwing flags, but not only throwing flags, having the necessary conversation uh, with the offender and educating them why they called or saw it the way that they saw it. And so it's been a good week for, for us from that perspective, but you know how we judge good weeks, we judge it based on performance. You know, in basketball, guys commit fouls a lot of times because they're not moving their feet. They stop moving their feet. Is that also something that you have to look for in the kind of defensive pass interference penalties, those kinds of things? I know from an officiating standpoint um, that that's one of the critical things that they use to call holding for the offensive line. And the term that they use is feet beat. And so that is an element of the teaching and coaching um, to, to maneuver your feet, to stay in front of people. Um, and even if you have a, a hold of them, if you're in front of them, uh, very rarely would those things get called. Um, is feet beat, meaning um, the, the, the person is outside the framework of your body and you're attempting to block or hold them in some way. Those are the things that are easy call. Uh, in your mind, is there ever a situation where there's an acceptable reason or explanation for a player losing a fumble 
or is it a zero sum situation? Don't fumble the ball. Zero sum situation. Um, those that catch it, throw it, and run it, they're they're throwing, catching, and running with our hopes and dreams, and there's responsibility associated with that. You were a defensive coach when you first broke into the NFL. How did you view guys uh, that you were on opposing teams in terms of before you labeled them a fumbler? And how did you then coach your guys to try and take advantage of that? Hey, if you got more than one on video, you can tell a story. And, and, and that's what I always tell our guys, and particularly our offensive guys. And to be, you know, really transparent, that's what I've been talking to Benny Snell about this week. Because we've played two games and he's got two balls on the ground. So anybody that wants to tell a story can tell a story. And so he needs to proceed with that understanding. Uh, he needs to assume that they stood up in a meeting room in Houston, Texas this week and put them two clips on, on a reel and characterized him as a fumbler. And so you got to answer for that. We all have to answer for that. Uh, but in general, um, all it takes is two plays in any discussion. If you got more than one play, you can tell a story. How would you evaluate Terrell Edmonds in the first two games of this season? I think he's been really active, particularly in the run game. Uh, he's been good in and around the line of scrimmage. His fits have been, been really good. Um, we're starting to get him going in terms of some of the blitz game. Uh, I just like the general trajectory of his play. Uh, it needs to continue. There's more meat on the bone, but I think he's got a good start thus far. Is there any way that you uh, might find similarities between Terrell's uh, development to this stage of his career and Bud Dupree's development to a similar stage in his career? No question. And, and, and really, probably for similar reasons. Uh, the things that we asked them to do are not necessarily what they were asked to do in college. Bud was an off-the-ball linebacker a lot in college. He played in space. You know, he had to develop the down-in and down-out rush skills associated with outside linebacker play in our scheme. And the same thing with, with Edmonds, man. He played all over the place. Um, in sub-package ball, he played like a linebacker. On first and ten ball, he played in the middle of the field. And so we've asked him to do some different things within our scheme that's required an adjustment and a growth from him. And so I think it's reasonable to expect him to continue to ascend and to continue to hone his skills and develop awareness uh, within the scheme relative to the position that he's playing very much like Bud has done. Uh, into what category would you put uh, Deshaun Watson in terms of how he uses his mobility? You know, he's dangerous. Um, it's beyond escapability. Um, this guy is a capable runner. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have varsity throwing traits and, and, and is capable of hurting you in the pocket, but his running ability is beyond escapability. If, if you had to describe a guy, I would describe Baker Mayfield as somebody who has really good escapability. Um, this guy's movement is beyond that. Um, this guy is capable of turning a broken play into a 50-yard gain if you're running in man coverage with backs to him and stuff like that. Uh, he is a legitimate athlete who happens to play the quarterback position. Uh, last year, the Texans were a playoff team. This year, they're 0-2. And it's rare for a team that starts a season 0-3 to be able to make the playoffs. Uh, does that fact make the Texans especially dangerous today? And do you believe in the concept of a team being desperate this early in a season? I do, um, but I also believe that we're desperate as well. <laughs> we're, we're desperate every week. Um, there, there's a required victory um, for all of us, week in and week out. And, and regardless of what's in our rearview mirror, we all proceed on Mondays and Tuesdays 
with that same mindset. And, and so I think if you're in this league at this level, you better assume that that's the mentality of those that you compete against. And, and that way you're, you're never shocked. And, and that's how we get down here in Pittsburgh. Uh, we got extreme urgency. Uh, we understand we're playing a really good team. We understand that we're playing a team that can be characterized as 0-2, but has played the defending Super Bowl champion in the 14-2 Baltimore Ravens from 2019. Uh, so we're not reading too much into that. We understand they're a quality group. We understand that they got big-time urgency, but so do we. Uh, ben Roethlisberger will set a franchise record today for games played. He's a quarterback. What does that say about him? I think it just speaks to not only um, his, his physical talents and his God-given abilities, um, but, but what he's willing to do and his physical and mental toughs. Um, that position, what it, what, the way it challenges you above the neck and from a physical standpoint, um, he's just a special guy, um, and, and that's what it says. Um, this is a tough job. Uh, all of these jobs and positions are tough jobs, but definitely the quarterback position. And to do it at the level that he's done it at for so long, I think it's just a tribute to him and his talents, and not only his talents, but what he's willing to do.